Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hey folks, I'm so glad to be with you today. I am really excited to be working with my friend Alex Avila, who is a professional in Colorado. And I got to tell you, he has done a lot of writing about the very things that we deal with around intimacy and relationships. And let me tell you a little bit about Alex. Alex Avila uh, is a master CSAT and all kinds of great letters. He has passed his name, which means he studied a lot of good stuff. He's founder and director of Relationship Institute in the Rockies in Denver, Colorado. As a therapist, he meets with men, women, and couples to help them overcome trauma, connect emotionally in their relationships, and rewrite their sexual scripts. He's going to talk to us about that. He also facilitates couples workshops, men's recovery groups, and women's betrayal trauma recovery groups. And by the way, Alex's work is fantastic. If you ever have a chance, we'll tell you a little bit later how to reach him. But to do a workshop or spend some time with him is really a gift, in my opinion. Alex wrote the book, 40 Forms of Intimacy, to give people practical ways to connect and experience greater intimacy beyond sex. And we're going to talk about that too. Welcome, Alex. Thank you, Dr. I appreciate your having me on the show. I'm going to ask you, because we work together, we know each other's work. I'm going to ask you a question I've never asked anybody. Why did I invite you here? Yeah, I think uh, you were wondering about relationship and intimacy building on a practical level. And how do we do that, especially with addiction and just trying to recover after betrayal? There's so many things that we can do to build trust. And I think what I wrote, you heard about and thought this could be very helpful and practical for your audience. Well, you got it right, (laughs) because the issue that comes up over and over and over again, but with recovering people and people who are just trying to deal with their sexuality in general is, what is intimacy? Because I constantly hear, oh, intimacy is sex. That's what intimacy is. If we're being intimate, we're having sex. And that doesn't seem to be exactly it. So I wanted to go to an intimacy expert like you and hear a little bit more information on how the heck that gets put together and what is an intimate relationship. I think a lot of us grow up thinking of the word intimacy as sex, right? Almost as a synonym and to really break it down. And that's why I wrote this book is to help people understand the practical ways of connecting and that intimacy is so much more than sex, right? It's on the way to sex sometimes, but people feel emotional connection. They feel emotional intimacy. You can feel spiritual intimacy and all these things while you're having sex or the pursuit or even afterward 
So it's really all connected. It's all part of the same intimacy pie, so to speak, but it's, it's helpful to break it down for people. Well, let me ask you a question. I've always felt like I could be deeply intimate with people that I love in my life as I've grown and healed. And I have friends I've known for 40, 50 years. Well, I hate to give that away for, for at least 40 years, um, who I feel like I've been incredibly intimate with on so many occasions, but we've never had sex and we're not romantic. So maybe we could just start there, pulling the sex and the romance out, out to make it even clearer. What is relationship intimacy? How do you get intimate and what does it mean to be intimate with someone that you never have sex with and you're not married to and all that kind of stuff? Right. We can experience great intimacy with family members, with friends, uh, coworkers, really anybody that we invest time in. Uh, so we'll get into some of that in a little bit about just being present with each other. But anything, just doing activities together, sharing a meal together, sharing gifts with each other. All of those are part of the 40 forms, doing projects together, outreach types of things. Uh, relaxing. Alex, you know, I'm really getting the sense that probably half of the 40 forms of intimacy are things that people can carry out even if they weren't in a romantic relationship. And I'm also thinking that many of the people that you and I work with who have intimacy and attachment issues, addiction problems, that they might run right to the sex or right to the lust and the romance and miss out on a lot of this stuff that they have to call backfill. So what do you think couples miss out on in their rush to romance and sex and all that good stuff? Yes, you're exactly right. A lot of non-sexual forms of intimacy need to take place, I think, before people can really feel close and feel like they could trust that person. Again, this could be done with anybody, friends, neighbors, coworkers, just spending time together. And a lot of people move to the sex, I think, and skip this because they really don't know how. They, It's hard to think about what are those pathways or those stepping stones to really feeling intimate in a relationship. And a lot of people don't know what that feels like. It hasn't been modeled to them. They just don't know that whole part of it. So they miss out on it. And especially when people have struggled with sex addiction, we have had betrayal. Uh, we need to slow down. Sometimes sex is off the table for a time. So we're needing to look at all these other areas in ways that they can connect and a big part of, of why I wrote this book was I wanted them to focus on what they're already doing well. So there could be a lot of other ways that they're feeling connected, practical ways. Maybe they're serving each other well. They're working on projects. They're cooking together. They're doing all these things that help them feel close, but they haven't really paid attention to that or haven't really shared it with each other or talked about how they feel so close when they're doing these practical things together. You know, it's interesting you say this, Alex, because I never thought about the fact that the little things can be intimate. I mean, if we have kids, and I know that's more work than necessarily intimate, but those moments when you have those special moments when you're sitting there with them and you realize you're learning more from them than you're teaching them, those moments when you're bringing their family together, we can be intimate with pretty much, we, we don't notice the intimate moments that happen probably every single day all around us. I have a great question for you, I think. If romantic relationships take a different form of intimacy than friendships, what are the pieces that are specific to romance and love that are non-sexual? In other words, you and I are friends. We might engage in all forms of intimacy, but they would probably skip over the romantic and sexual ones. What we're also talking about is there are couples who engage in the romantic and sexual ones, and they skip over the ones for friendship. What are the ones that are really specific to romantic and sexual and intimate relationships in that way that need to be created or restored? 
Well, actually, friendship is one of the 40 forms of intimacy because we forget sometimes that we have to do the things that good friends do. And that is listening to each other, respecting each other, working things out when there has been some kind of harm to the relationship. And, and all of that companionship and sharing interests and experiences together helps people feel close. So sometimes we get stuck only doing that, right? People have said that they feel like roommates when there's not a lot of romantic connection. But we also need to remember that we have to be friends because friends do these things that are very respectful and honoring to each other. They share life with each other. So they need to open up. They need to talk. They need to share how they appreciate each other and do things together. That's going to help them feel close, even in their romantic relationship. So I want to be a little bit more specific, and I'll give you an example. I have many, many spouses of addicts and people who cheat, male and female, but mostly female, who will say to me, you know what? My guy, you know, he hasn't been intimate with me in forever. Or as he started to have that affair, or he started to slip away into addiction, I felt that the intimacy we had went away. And that seems to be the first thing that escapes someone who's acting out is, you know, they don't notice what's missing. But what do you think the spouses are picking up when they say, I feel like my spouse, my partner, my husband is not being intimate with me? I believe it's attunement that is lacking. And that's, again, one of the 40. So attunement is really focusing our attention on someone. It's really making them a priority. And that's sometimes what we hear a lot from people who have been betrayed or just in any relationship is I don't feel like a priority. Uh, so wherever we spend our time, money, energy, all of those things really reflect our decisions, what we value. And if it's not our partner and we're, we're working a lot, we're doing a lot of things with our friends, doing all these other activities, but we're not giving attention, not staying attuned to our partner, then that's going to be lacking and the partner's going to feel it. You know, it's really interesting, Alex, because I think of coming home and, you know, my spouse has taken the time, some time to make dinner and, you know, done some nice things. And I've been working all day. And it's like, well, that's, and I get a call for dinner. It's dinner time or whatever. And, you know, I could have made dinner. They could have made dinner, whatever. And my thought is, well, wait, I got to finish this and I got to get done. And surely you'll understand that I've got to do these things. And if I'm a little late for dinner and I'm a little preoccupied, then you'll understand. And that's where the spouses, I think, feel wounded that they don't understand why they're not a priority. And in that scenario, for example, how could I be more intimate if I'm coming home and my spouse has made something to eat and I'm stressed out and I'm, you know, I got a few things to do on the computer before dinner. How do I make that more intimate than saying, could you just wait a few minutes? I'll be right with you. Yeah, I think appreciation is one of the, one of the four to get it. And sometimes we appreciate things, but we don't turn those thoughts into words. So if we do these things, these three things, right? We notice, appreciate, and share. So I'm noticing you're serving me. I'm noticing you're cooking. You, you went out of your way to do this uh, and I appreciate it, but maybe I'm tired. I came home and I just, I don't even want to talk, but I'm going to share it. Even if it's just a sentence, you know, thank you so much for thinking of me today. You went through the extra time and effort to, you know, put food on the table. You knew I had a long day. I really appreciate that. That could be a very quick, that could be a text. It could be a little sticky note but you're sharing it. You're making those good, positive thoughts and feelings words. And one of the things I, I looked at when I looked at your 40 forms of intimacy is it also takes action. You know, I can say, I appreciate your dinner and I love that you were there and thank you for doing this, but I also have to put my computer down, show up in time for dinner. 
So intimacy is built with trust, right? And if you trust that I'm not going to just say words, I'm actually going to follow through. And the reason I say this is because addicts are so good with words and people who cheat are so good with words. Oh, honey, thank you. Love you. You're so great. I really appreciate But they don't, there's no action behind it. Doesn't that confuse people when you tell them, I love you and are really important to me and let you don't act in an intimate, connected way. I would imagine that makes people a little crazy. Yes, I, our words must match our actions, right? Respect, how I define that in the book, it's one of the 40 respect, is mutually demonstrating love, care, and honor through words, actions, and treatment. So we are taking action and we're respecting each other by demonstrating that. So you're going to put out to me your needs, your wants, and your desires. And if I say I'm going to meet them or agree to them or support them, then I actually have to do that. Right there's some follow through on meeting your needs. Otherwise, I'm untrustworthy and unreliable. Is that how it works out? That is what makes a relationship right. It's reciprocal, and it it means I heard you. First of all, I was listening. I was tuned in. I care enough about you to listen, and I don't maybe want to do every single thing that you say, but the things that I can do, I will do. But either way, I'm going to acknowledge that you asked for that. I'm going to acknowledge that um, you express that need to me. And that demonstrates respect. Can people be intimate in their anger and their hurt and their frustration with each other? Or is intimacy only when we're feeling mushy gushy and everything's going great? Yeah, that's the the one thing that I really want people to pay attention to is that even when you're in conflict, you can stay connected. So one of them, it doesn't even sound right together, these two words, but conflict intimacy. So you can endure some sense of connection while you're working out your different perspectives and your preferences and just by how you talk, how you show up to each other. Again, are you listening? Are you minimizing somebody? Are you being honest and forthcoming? Um, or are you fighting dirty, right? And saying these things, the sarcasm, the dismissive comments, the gaslighting, so we can we really have to look at those micro moments when we're in a in a cycle or a fight where how are we should the should the words that are coming out of my mouth right now are they going to help or harm you know it's very simple sometimes we have to ask ourselves and usually if we have to ask ourselves that we shouldn't say anything right so I just want to throw out an example Alex because um I know that we run into this every day which is uh, a couple is in early recovery or they're dealing with recent trauma, something, trauma, betrayal, whatever. And you come home and I say, there you are again. You reminded me you ruined my life. Every time I see your face, it reminds me of how much hurt you've caused me. Sometimes I wish you wouldn't even come home, but fine, you're here. I'm going to go do something else. How does that become, <laughs> How and we experience that a lot. How does something like that do you take a time out from that and come back and like, how do you work with that in a way that has meaning and builds intimacy, even though it's a very challenging and intense moment? Can you still kind of pull something out of that? Yeah, those charged moments I and mean, any of us, we're going to talk in a certain tone when we're overwhelmed, maybe personally because of work, we're stressed, but maybe there's just something we walk into it and, and even just being triggered by the sight of our partner sometimes in the stages of betrayal recovery. But any of those cycles, we really needed to slow down, right? And to, to step back, what is happening here? Wow, I was just sitting here and my partner came in the door and started yelling. And so what am I feeling? What am I thinking? And our hearts beating faster, like all this is happening within a few seconds, right? And we don't want to go into those old moves in the dance, right? The cycle where I'm going to attack back 
but that's our natural reaction is to defend ourselves. Or withdraw or just completely withdraw. Exactly. We want to move away. And and then we go through that whole cycle of, I'm not going to do that for him or her, like you know, the way she's treating me. So we we kind of almost harden our hearts and move away. And, and that's our part in the dance. We're still responsible for our part. So we can say, maybe it'll be after that break. Maybe it'll be half an hour later, but it'll be you know, something we can take responsibility for and say, hey, when you came home a little bit ago, I just felt like you you laid into me and I didn't even know what was going on, but I could tell you what I felt. And, and that I felt overwhelmed, but I felt attacked. And you know, honestly, I just, I'm, I'm mad at you and I don't want anything to do with you tonight because those were the thoughts I was having. So there's a big difference between talking it out and acting it out. Because we can react in the moment or we can respond after a pause. And responding includes maybe some thought and wisdom, whereas reacting is impulsive and not very considerate of the other person or the impact of what I'm about to say. You know, this is really helpful because I think sometimes people think they have to have a dialogue, that to be intimate is for each one to talk and compete and they're talking till they're sure the other one understands or whatever. And sometimes I know that couples are in conflict. I'll say, well, could you just sit for 20 minutes and listen and not say anything? And that way, there's no fight. There's no argument. You're just listening and nodding. And and that yet feels to me somehow intimate, even though one person might not be saying anything. Am I am I really off about that? Well, the, the emotional presence. And a lot of times that includes silence, right? So their presence, their whole body language, their whole being is communicating something without words. So if they're leaning towards you with a, a kind look on their face, it's very different than leaning back with their arms or legs crossed and and maybe they're looking elsewhere. So yeah, their presence, how they're showing up and those brief validation statements can make so much difference, right? Someone could talk for a few minutes and you can just say something like, I can see how you'd feel afraid based on what you just said, or that makes sense. You know, something very simple that just allows whoever's talking to feel heard and know that you're tracking with them. So this this makes me think of that word you use. And we're going to go, by the way, I want to go through some of the relationship intimacy inventory so people can take a look at some of the priorities of intimacy. We won't get through all 40. But I wanted to ask you to briefly explain this word attunement because you've mentioned it a number of times. And when I hear you say things like, you know, well, we can be in completely different places and still find our way to connection if we can be attuned. And I, I want to understand how, we, I think it's a very important word for our folks. Even if you hate each other, you can be attuned. So can you explain a little bit? Because it is a very important word. Right. And we can look at it as very simple, actually. And I define it as tuning into each other by giving attention and being present. So we're focusing our attention on our partner. Again, we're making them a priority and we're, we're being self-attuned. What's going on with us? What are we thinking and feeling and needing? But we're just present with them. We're tuned into them. Think of tune, attunement as tuned in, you know, like a radio. You're, you're tuned into their channel and it doesn't matter about all this other static or noise in the background, everything else that might be competing for our attention because we are tuned in to our partner. So I think of my relationship, I have to say, and I, this is something I hear from my spouse a lot. I wish you'd get off the computer. You know, you're talking to me and you're watching TV and I don't feel like which one is more important or I understand you're sending a text to work and work is really important, but you just came home. So I hear this, a lot of this, not that 
I really want to admit my challenges, but I think I'm easily distractible as a lot of addicts are. And it's very easy to start looking over here and looking over there and getting involved in this. And all of a sudden you're not paying attention to your spouse. So I assume, or your partner or your friend or whatever it is. So I assume that attunement has something to do with putting down your own crap and noticing the other person. Yeah, I believe, again, being self-attuned and just being present with ourselves, noticing what's happening here. Oh, I'm over here. Oh, I got to do this email and check this. And, and our mind is so active all the time. We have to consciously slow down and say, you know what? I'm going to reserve 15 minutes at 7 p.m. to look at my phone, check my email, then I'm putting it down. So sometimes in the moment, if that's an ongoing issue, it's going to create tension. There could be an argument, right? If outside of that interaction, outside of that hurt feeling, you can say, hey, can we talk about like just how we manage our time once we get home? And whoever's you know to blame, I guess, in that side of the conversation, they're going to know right away, oh, we're going to have a talk about me. But you could say, how about, and, and maybe brainstorm several options, but how about you know by 5 p.m. to 6 p.m., we both just take our own time to wind down. You know, maybe it's less than that. It could be 15 minutes, but we just kind of go do our own thing, but we kind of meet. We're intentional about coming back to meet, you know, like from let's say six o'clock or six fifteen. We're gonna be back and give each other our full attention, right? Because we can't do both. So, but we're making an appointment, and that appointment might be every day. It's just kind of the expectation. But both people are following the new guideline. So this is really helpful too, because what you're saying is in that, and I think this is true, in that moment when I come home and I hear, could you not focus on the TV? Could you not? My answer, like, well, I got to see the rest of this, or I just have to get this text out. Or if you just give me a few minutes to finish, that that may not be the time it's going to get resolved, that we have to sit down another time and say, this is a stress point that we need to talk about, but not when we're upset with each other because we don't get anywhere. Is that is that part of it? Like making the time when it's not happening? Right. Outside of the moment, it's going to be easier because those emotions aren't activated, right? And we're not, right when you hear that, could you not do this? We're already feeling parented or we're feeling, hey, I'm the problem again. But if we both enter a conversation that's planned, and it could be five minutes, but we just have a, a ritual maybe where we sit on you know, our safe space couch together and it's time for us and, and we can follow this framework. Hey, you know, I noticed this when you do this. I feel this and I need this, right? When, when you come home and like you grab your phone and I'm trying to talk to you, I feel disrespected. I feel like I don't matter. You know, I, I just feel kind of hurt and I need this. I need your attention. Can you please do that? And I feel like I'm kind of baiting you here, so please excuse the humor. But so I'm the, my first thought as an addict, as a recovering person, no matter how many years it is, my head goes here is, okay, so he's saying I can start a list right now of all the things I'm upset with my partner for. And we just need to sit down every night and give me 15 minutes to tell them what I'm upset about so we can work it out. That's where my head goes. Somehow, I don't think that's what you're saying. <laughs> right. Now, we, neither of us in a relationship wants a list, right? Or we, we definitely don't want to hear how we're dropping the ball, getting things wrong, screwing up. So when it's balanced out and it's a conversation we are having about our relationship and how we can grow together, notice there's some we's in there. We are both investing our energy, our time, our focus on something that's going to help both of us feel connected. And we're both going to win. 
And yeah, there are going to be some things you have to do differently. You might have to make some small sacrifices here. And you know what? Yeah, that kind of bothers you. I've known that for years. So, you know, I'm going to work on that. But when both partners are noticing, hey, I could do something about this and you could do something about this, we can really start to feel more connected and just feel more peace in our home. Alex, you've done such a good job of introducing us to all this. And I guess I want to ask about the book a little bit. You wrote something called The 40 Forms of Intimacy. Are there actually 40 forms? Like, are there actually 40 things on there? And why not 41? I have to ask, because that's me. Why not 38? (laughs) No, no, you don't have to answer that. How did you come to these? How did you decide these were the right ones or the ones that are most effective? How do you know which ones to focus on or not? Like, how is that put together in your book and your thinking? Right. I just I started this process just by paying attention because I really wanted people I was meeting with in therapy to to focus on their strengths. What are they doing well? And you know, people would say we haven't had intimacy in weeks or months or years. And they were talking about sex. And I thought, oh, I want you to pay attention to all these other areas that you're you're just knocking out of the park. You're doing great over here as grandparents, or you're you're really managing your finances well, or look how you're serving each other every single night as you're cooking and sharing and eating meals together and cleaning up. So I just started paying attention. Uh, It took me over two years to come up with all those. And I just kept adding them because I felt there was enough to write a a few chapters, I'm sorry, a, a few pages. There were enough of these topics that I thought I really wanted to break it down and at least write maybe five, some of them are five pages long or, or even fewer. And to break down, here's a way you can connect. And you can open this book, maybe read the introductory chapter. You can go right to commitment. That's a form of intimacy, right? Just talking about your commitment to each other and how you reassure each other for the future. And you can also go to celebration. I mean, that's just drawing attention and celebrating things, you know, achievements, even professional milestones, you know, anything big and small, but anything that helps you feel close and connected could be something that you feel that sense of intimacy. I'm looking at your list since you brought these ones up and I'm looking at celebration because I have the list, by the way, it comes in the book and um, celebration. It says you wrote drawing attention to and celebrating achievements, milestones, feelings, big and small. So how does that work on an intimacy? We're sitting down to dinner and I say, you know, uh, I think I might get that new job at work. They might move me up. I'm not sure. Is that like the kind of thing where we, what do you, anybody might say, oh, good for you. Glad that's happening. You mean something else. And I'm not sure, maybe something a little bit more. Um, what do you mean by celebration? And we'll go through a couple of these maybe so we can get a sense of how this is put together. So first of all, it helps them stay connected because they're sharing. They're talking about it. And you know, some people go around the table and they share like highs or lows, like in our in our uh, men's recovery groups, we share victories and struggles, right? So that helps us look for the times where we're doing well and the times where we're not. And anytime you're sharing on a regular basis with someone, you're growing in connection with them. So if something happens at work, inventing might be part of it where you're like, oh, I had a rough day. But um, I usually tell people to, to cap venting at about five minutes because you don't want that to color <laughs> the rest of your evening. But you're sharing about things and especially the good things. So if there's something that happened well or you know something went well at work or happened during the day and you can celebrate it, maybe you think about, you know what, we're going to go out to a special dinner tonight or whatever you want to do. It could be a gift that you share with each other, but you're drawing attention to it 
and and how that made you feel and the other person is celebrating with you so it becomes a kind of a joint accomplishment you know i've been in relationships and this is really helpful so i think i'm going to draw what doesn't work is well let's say relationships i grew up in a family where if i said hey dad i just got this in school and i just got a really good this and that but that was really hard my dad would say something like um well good for you son that's really interesting but let me tell you about my day and i never really felt like my achievements mattered even though he would engage me and listen what's missing from that because i think a lot of the spouses and people hear from the addicts like well this that and the other thing and then they kind of get trumped by what the other person has to say and then i'm not sure the connection is made how do you fix that is that the problem sometimes when someone says something, it just triggers a memory or a thought, and then we grab the conversation and take it in a whole different direction. And that can be painful because someone just shared something and we didn't even let them know we heard them. So we can really slow it down and say, you know, we're, we're reflecting on what we heard and we're validating it. Hey, I'm glad that you did this at work today. You know, it sounds like you're really happy about that. So we're kind of guessing at this feeling that they have. Anytime we can guess at and share, a feeling that makes that connection even stronger. But we can share that. And sometimes if a thought is activated in us, we can share that in another interaction. So that interaction can be all about them. Or maybe we could give them the full two or three minutes and just really focus and give them our full attention again, be attuned and say, wow, that sounds great. You really enjoyed that. I'm glad that happened. Tell me more. Well, I have to say this, being a little narcissistic, um, I might tend to miss the moment when my spouse says, oh, all these great things happened to you, and let me tell you about it. And I turn around like my dad and say, oh, you think you had a good day? Let me tell you about me. My spouse might be, or my family, my loved one might be so kind to me that be they would be willing to put down what's important to them and refocus on me. How would I even know that they needed something? Would I read it in their body? Would I hear about it later? I think I disappoint a lot of people, and I don't even know that I have. What should I be looking for in a partner that tells me, I've really let them down here, even in this small moment? Right. You can start with that. Say, you know what? I don't think I show up to these interactions in the way you need me to when you share something. Because I have taken the stage. And and next thing you know, we're talking about me. And sometimes conversations flow back and forth really well that way, right? Oh, this and that's, oh, me too. And, and it can be good. but. When there are a lot of feelings on the line and if it's a recurring thing and somebody, a partner starts to feel hurt because you're always stealing the spotlight, um, there needs to be a conversation about that. So that could be something that you talk about, you know, in that safe space, maybe that couch, you know, you go and have those five to 10 minute conversations and you can share, hey, you know what? I've let you down. And I think every time we start out with some humility and, and genuine apology, like, hey, I've dropped the ball here. Um, I haven't given you the support you've needed. That really softens the other person through like, oh, he sees it. I've been trying to tell him this. And and there's a connection there. And a lot of I words, not you're not doing this and you're not doing that, but I feel disappointed. I feel let down. This is what we kind of teach all day as therapists. You, I noticed in the 40 forums, we're just call it the 40 forums. In the 40 forums of intimacy, you Ask people, you gave them a list to rate, like they actually have to rank what's important to them, what's not important to them. 
And I think it's, you know, one is the least important, five is the most important, and you put down each one. So, for example, you put down adventure. And you said, enjoying a sense of adventure together through a variety of ongoing and novel activities, things that are new that we can do together. And are you saying that I get to say, you know, I'm not really that into adventure. I'd rather take a walk. And my partner gets to say, I love adventure. I want to go on new adventures all the time. And then when we figure out, I assume that we're both doing this and that we're going to look at it together and say, where do we match up or where do we not? Let me start there. Is that what we're doing? Right. Yeah. You're, you each get to do that, go through the list and rank them. So if, if there are 40 and that could feel overwhelming, I even say early in the book, if you're doing all 40, uh, even in the same day, you know, it's probably going to kill you. So you don't have to go do all 40. <laughs> Can you have 50? I'm an addict. I'll take all of them. <laughs> so, but if each partner is writing down what they like and they're even changing, they don't have to use my definitions. They can add to it, take away, but they're ranking one to five and they compare all their fives. Wow. Now they have, maybe they have five new ways to connect because they both ranked at the highest. And maybe they could say, well, you know what? You have a three on this one and I have a one. We can just kind of like forget about that because that's always a fight for us. We could just let that go. But if if you have some fives and your partner has some ones on the same thing, you can say, hey, let's go do one of your fives today. Um, even if it's a one for you, and then maybe the next time they could do that for you. Yeah, I think you're talking about negotiation. Yeah, just take taking turns. So, Alex, if I'm in this relationship and I have gone through, as you said, and I loved you said this, don't go through all 40. Um, you're, you'll kill each other. And by the way, are you saying that you might take on one or two of these at a time? of these intimacy steps, even maybe just one. You don't want to go, you might check the list off all in one sitting, but you're not going to go through it with your partner all in one sitting. Right. And they could open the book and read three or four pages on that, on that specific form of intimacy that their partner likes. Cause they're like, I have no idea, no interest. I don't really care about that, but my partner does. So I'm going to read a few pages and maybe come up with some ideas and then we can have a conversation about it. And they're at the end of each chapter, there are several connection points that are really practical exercises for how you can explore and enjoy this type of intimacy. So you had to write something about all 40 of these? That's right. That's why it's that's a lot of work. Two years. That's a lot of work. <laughs> I really find myself wondering, Alex, you know, so many people are not in a relationship and they're not married. They're not a couple. And is there any reason for them to look at the 40 forms of intimacy? Would that serve any purpose for them? Yes. I've heard people that weren't in a relationship currently really take a lot from the book. It's really about helping people understand how to shape and create a healthy relationship. So on all these topics, we're talking about respect and safety, being sensitive to each other. Someone who's not currently in a relationship could look at this almost as a, as a guide to is this person I'm dating, are they capable of doing some of these things? And maybe talk about this book with a potential partner, but there's a lot that a person could do and read, You know, maybe just skipping some of the couple exercises at the end of the chapter, but they could do um, a lot of reading and, and really start to understand all these different aspects of a healthy relationship. Thanks. Because I really, you know, a lot of single folks listen to us and you're right. I think they need to understand themselves not so much look at what they might get from somewhere else, but what makes me feel intimate and close and supported so that when they do go out and look for somebody, they understand themselves better, right? So 
first of all, let's set your website, your information. How can people reach you and learn about your work if they want to do that? So the best way to see everything I'm doing is relationshipinstitute.org. So it's just relationshipinstitute.org. And that'll show my current classes. I do some online couples workshops, um, kind of my counseling website as well. It'll show you. I just finished a online, a video couples communication course that a couple could go online and buy, but they'll, they'll find all of that by going to relationshipinstitute.org. And one of the things I like to talk about in every podcast before I finish is, and we'll talk about the book real quick. If people don't have the resources to go to therapy, and many people, and one of the reasons we give this podcast is because many people will never be able to afford therapy. They don't have insurance. They're never going to make a treatment center. Some people never make a 12-step or support group. Are there ways that they can work with this without therapy, without any kind of outside resources to make use of this um, for themselves? Yeah, with the book alone, they'll be able to do some exercises. They could choose. I have different levels of what people can do given where they are in a relationship. So if there are seven options, how to apply this chapter, maybe you could choose two or three that fit for where you are. And then that's the reason I created this, the video course for couples is, you know, very low cost uh, comparatively to therapy and for them to take home and do this at their own pace could be something that can really help with that cost barrier. And how can people get this book? Um, Is it online? Is there an audio version? Like how do they do that? Yeah, 40 Forms of Intimacy is available on Amazon. So you can go there and check it out. It's also available on Kindle. So yeah, that's where they can find it. Folks, I know it sounds like a lot, but I am so impressed with all of these pieces to Alex's relationship intimacy inventory that I'm going to start reading you what they are. So here are the forms of intimacy that matter. Acceptance, adventure, affection appreciation, attunement, celebration, commitment, communication, conflict, emotions, enrichment, financial. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our treatment center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term, effective, intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at Rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.